This morning, we're going to start our series and our sermon with, a, with I believe, a story that most of us are quite acquainted to with. Um, even as little children, we heard the story of Jonah. Uh, we heard that, uh, or we've come to learn that God had commanded Jonah, his prophet, to go to Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, the wicked city, and to call out against it, to cry out against it, the word of God says. In other words, he was to go to them and he was to let them know that within 40 days, because of their wickedness, that God was going to wipe the entire city out and kill all of its inhabitants. Well, we find that Jonah doesn't want to go and cry, cry out against the city. Instead, he, he buys a, a one-way ticket to the city of Tarshish, enters a boat, goes down into the bowels of that boat, falls asleep. And as he's sleeping, God hurls a wind uh, and a storm uh, where the ship is. And all of a sudden it begins to get tossed to and fro. And we find out that it is in the perils of sinking. And all those that are within the boat, not only Jonah, but all the sailors and, and everybody else who's helping sail this ship, their lives are in peril at this time, all because of Jonah. When these sailors find out about this, What they do is they ask Jonah, what should we do to end up surviving this whole ordeal? And Jonah tells them with a hardened heart, throw me into the water, throw me over, let me drown. And so these men are not quite sure if that's what they want to do, but eventually they know if they're going to save their own lives, they've got to get rid of this, this troubled man. They throw him over and the storm is, comes, is calmed. Uh, but what we find is we're expecting for Jonah to, to drown, but he doesn't. God makes a provision for him. He appoints a fish and the fish comes and swallows him up. And there he is in the stomach of this great fish. How disgusting is this? But anyway, I just don't like a whole lot of fish on a certain type. Anyway, I won't go into that. But anyway, being in it, I don't know. And so he's in it. And then while he's in the stomach of this fish, he begins to call out for the mercy and the grace of God. And so after three days, God responds to that. And he does show his mercy, does extend his grace. And he's vomited up on the seashore. And there he is. And God reminds him again. He says, now... Are you going to go and cry out against Nineveh? And so he simply says, okay, we'll go. But he doesn't go because he wants to go. He goes begrudgingly because he just doesn't want to end up in the fish again. Have you ever felt that way again, right? I don't want to get in the fish again. Okay, I'll go. So he goes and he begins to preach throughout the city. And he tells them in in the kind of way that I don't like it. Have you ever heard a preacher preach on hell and it sounds like they enjoy it? All right, well, that was Jonah. Jonah was coming in and saying, man, you're going to die. You are going to perish. God's going to wipe you out because of your sin. (laughs) And he would laugh this diabolical laugh. I don't know if he really did, but he enjoyed this. He was telling them that they were going to die. And so what we find is we find that this preaching from this man uh, begins, God uses it to begin to work in the hearts of these people. And they begin to repent and they begin to turn from their sin and they begin to call out to God to forgive them. And what's amazing is it's the whole city. Uh, 120,000 plus people begin to repent of their sin. What an amazing sight that must have been. And what we find is at the end of chapter 3, we see um, based on their response, we see God's response. And we see in chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them. And he did not do it. Boy, I'll tell you what, read that. There's the gospel right there. Isn't Isn't that the gospel? That God relented from us. He was going. He told us that we would be judged, but he relented because of who? 
because of Jesus Christ dying in our place. Well, here he relents. Now, you would expect at this particular point that a prophet who is called of God, set apart from God to preach, to see people repent, you think he would be ecstatic at this moment. But of course, we know that he's not. At the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, the question we want to ask this morning is, 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 is what's going on with this guy? There's something seriously, seriously wrong with this picture. And in, in, in what we find is this, is what, what is ultimately going on is here is a man of God who is really experiencing a dreadful condition. He is a man who is experiencing a lack of having the heart of God. He is a man of God in the sense that he has been set apart by God. He's experienced God's grace. He's experienced God's mercy firsthand. God has saved him. He's seen the supernatural power, not because of anything he's done, but just because of the goodness and the grace of God. And he's also seen the deliverance of all of these people, the extension of God. But yet he finds himself to be angry because, here's the deal, even though he's a person of God, a man of God, a believer in God, He fails to have the heart of God. Now, folks, that's a warning to us this month. This month, see, we are, it's very easy for us to get wrapped up and think about this whole month of simply living is about money, right? About money. It's just about sacrifice. It's about money. Money's our problem. We either have too much of it, we have too little of it. Let's all talk about money. Well, we'll talk about money this month, but the focus is not on money. Because the problem is not on money. Do you understand that? The problem is is that many of us struggle from the same dreadful condition that Jonah does. We are, in fact, several people, not everyone, but some people in here are people of God. They're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been rescued from death by the grace and the mercy of God. We've seen the mercy of God. He's extended it to us. The problem is we still do not have, we still lack the true heart of God. And so what our prayer is, what our prayer is, what my prayer is, and what I hope your prayer is for this entire month is this, is God, give us your heart. Give us your heart. Give us the desires of your heart. Help us to love the things you love. Help us hate the things that you hate. Help us to begin to pursue the things that you pursue. God, that's our prayer for this entire month. And so this morning, we're starting with this idea of this dreadful condition that, let's face it, that many of us in here are suffering with. The same thing that Jonah suffered with. And so what I want to do is I want to show you three marks that indicate that a believer lacks the true heart of God. Three marks. Here's the first one. First of all, the first mark is a skewed perspective. Is a skewed perspective. Now look at verse 1 once again. It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, the question is, what exactly is it that's ticking him off? Why is he so mad that, that, that these Ninevites have, have, have come to faith in God, basically, have repented of their sin, and, and that God is no longer going to wipe them out? Why, what, is, what is it about this that's making him so angry? Well, let me give you a couple possibilities that scholars have suggested. One is that he was suffering from a, an extreme nationalism. And basically what that was, the Jews were suffering from this identity crisis. And what it was is because they were God's chosen people, when you're called that after a while, you begin to become a little big-headed. And what they begin to believe is this, is that they were God's people and nobody else was. In other words, God loved them, just the Jewish people, and he could care less about all of the Gentiles around. In fact, they believe God merely created all the Gentiles for one purpose and one purpose only. That was to kindle the fires of hell with them. 
So they had an identity crisis that God only loved them. And so some say, well, that might be why Jonah is so upset. Because he could care less for them. And what was happening during this time is that these particular, the Ninevites were a part of the Assyrians who had a very strong military force that they began to build up and it began to threaten Israel. So he began to be very upset that God didn't wipe them out. Why? Because it was a threat to them. And so he didn't quite understand it. The second possibility is this. He was upset because it was about saving face. What is Jonah's occupation? He's a prophet, right? What do prophets do? They foretell the future. They tell you what's going to happen. If you can't tell the the future accurately, you're not much of a prophet, right? So here is this colossus, this, this, this prophet, this, you know, one that comes and is supposed to tell everybody about what is about to happen. And what we find is, and he's already, remember, he's face to face told everybody that they were going to die. And now day 41 comes and nobody dies. Everybody has gotten their heart right with God and 42 comes and nothing's going on here. So to save face, he's just ticked off because he looks like a liar. There's a third possibility, and that is a missed opportunity. Now, this really shows you the heart of this man and how much he cares for other people outside of his own little country there. Um, During this time, Israel was not following God. They were not obedient. In fact, what they had done is they had become so affluent, so wealthy, that they began to no longer rest on God and and depend on Him. What they did was they just all their affections began to pour out for all of their stuff, and they began to forget God. Well, he understood that God is a God who judges. God is a God who disciplines His own people. They've been through it before. And so what Jonah does at this particular point is he's hoping to use the Ninevites as an illustration. And so what he's upset about is he's upset about that he didn't wipe them out for their sin. Because just think of a wonderful illustration and object lesson they would have made to go back and preach to the people. Hey, look, God wiped out 120,000 people plus. He'll do it to you. But guess what? Now he doesn't have a good illustration. Preachers hate when they don't have a good illustration, right? And so the question is, what are these? Or which one of these reasons is the primary reason that he's ticked off? And the truth of the matter is, I don't know. Isn't that great? I just don't know. It could be a mixture of all of them. But I think each of these, one of these, really get at the deeper problem, the root of the problem. And the root for the problem of Jonah is that he's self-centered. He's self-centered. He believes that everything should be done his way. For him, for his comfort, for his well-being. In fact, listen to this. He is so self-centered that he believes the purpose of God is to make sure that everything goes according to the way that Jonah thinks ways things should be. And if he doesn't do it that way, he gets angry and he gets upset. Now we see the essence of this self-centeredness in his prayer. Notice what, how he prays. And notice the words, I and my. It occurs at least five times in the original Hebrew, perhaps even more here in the, in the English. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's got an eye problem, doesn't he? I mean, it's, it's man, I this, my this, me this. And he's going on, and, and it's just all about him. Remember who he's talking to. Okay, he's talking to God. And what we find here is this, is we find really the real reason why he didn't go to Tarshish in the beginning. 
See, Sunday school teachers, I hope we're doing a little bit better job here. I believe that we are. But me growing up in Sunday school, I always heard this particular story that the reason he doesn't go is because he felt intimidated to share his faith. That he was afraid to go to Nineveh because he was scared. And you too sometimes feel like Jonah. Sometimes we're scared to share our faith too. And sometimes we run the other way and God wants us to go on. Right? Well, that's not what the text is about at all, is it? Instead, what the text is saying is this. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't a passive guy. He was a bold prophet of Israel, of God. He had no problem sharing and shouting and, and sharing whatever it was that God was saying. He didn't have an identity crisis. He wasn't passive. You know, instead, the problem is he sits there and he goes, God, I didn't want to do what you told me to do because you're not going to do what I want you to do. Get that? He didn't do what God was going to do because God wasn't going to do what he wanted to do. Now he's mad because God's not doing what he wants to do. You guys get this, right? I mean, you understand this. You understand this because you are this. I am this. You guys with me? So we sit there, we, get, we go, okay, God, I'm, I'm upset with you because God, this, here's what I want. Then he doesn't do it and go, okay, God, fine, be that way. I don't care. I literally know folks that sit there and they determine whether they're going to be obedient to God's book by how it ends up. I'll be obedient if God does X, Y, and Z. If he doesn't do X, Y, and Z, then I'm not going to do it. Do you understand? There's so much of Jonah. So don't think, okay, Jonah, bad example. Think Jonah you. Okay, think Jonah me. Not just me, you too, all right, all right? We're, we're all in this whole thing together. And so, so the crazy part about this is, is he knows that God is what? He's gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. How does he know this? He knows it firsthand. But yet, he's so self-centered that he believes God should do as he wants him to do. And so the craziness about this, here's God's... So God asks him a question. Notice this. First of all, let me say this. It's amazing that God asks him a question and doesn't just smack the taste out of his mouth. Are you with me? Okay, all right, because... I wouldn't even like if somebody talked to me this way, never mind an almighty God. And I guess that's the difference between God and me. All right. Thank God that I'm not God. Right. And so, so God comes to him and listen, he's nurturing and he shows even more grace by not wiping him out. He comes and he, and he moves him like a loving father teaching him. And he says to him, and the Lord says, do you do well to be angry? In other words, do you have the right? Do you have a very good reason to be angry. And so this is, this is ultimately what he's asking. He says, is it right for Jonah? Let's get into perspective. Is it right for Jonah, an infinitesimal piece of dust in the course of all eternity, to be angry at the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing creator God, right? It, because he's about, to, he's about doing his will rather than Jonah's. Did you get that? Okay, in other words, let me just break it down for you. Long sentence, let me break it down. A piece of dust and lint from your fabric softener uh, dryer is basically sitting there yelling at the almighty creator God who has created all and said, I'm mad at you because you're not doing things my way. Right? And so what happens is what we find here is we see a, a skewed perspective. This is the piece of lint telling the creator God what he should or should not do. And the reason that we understand this so much is because each and every one of us felt it. 
Even and every one of us have been in the same exact position that he is. And here's the ultimate problem. The ultimate problem is we think that the world revolves around us. So what we need constantly is we need to come to understand the same thing that God was trying to teach him. And not only understand it, but be continually reminded of it. What is that? What is it that we have to be reminded of? That it's about God's will, not my will. It's about what God is doing, not what I am ultimately doing. And so what is God's will? Revelation 5 tells us to redeem people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. God's will, God's plan is to redeem and to save that which is lost. His goal, his dream, his purpose is to reach men, women, and children from every tribe, of every tongue, of every nation. That's his purpose. So we find ourselves here in this. We either pursue our own kingdom, we either pursue our own challenges, or what do we do? We ultimately find ourselves doing everything for us rather than God. Here's the challenge, and I went out of order again, I'm sorry. But here it is. We must come to understand, like Jonah, that no matter what our occupation All our talents, all our gifts, all our abilities, all our comforts, all our securities, all of our wants, and all of our desires are to be at the disposal of a God to promote His will, His kingdom, His glory, and not your own. I don't think we're gripped by that. Let me rephrase that. I don't think I'm gripped by that. Because the majority of what I do in my mind oftentimes is trying to determine my stuff, my kingdom, what I'm about. And you know what the danger of this whole month is? I know that some of you are the cream of the crop because, because the cream of the crop are here during a giving month. You got that? And, and what, what that means is, what that means is, if, if you weren't, then you'd just be like, okay, well, you know, some other series. Whenever you get to the giving month, you kind of know who's kind of in it to win it and who's not, right? You get to the, the, to the giving month, and what you have oftentimes is a lot of, of tithers. A lot of people go, we give our 10%. Boy, this is going to be a dream of a month because I'm just going to slide right through this bad boy. But let me tell you something that you can become just like me, something that God had demonstrated to me a year ago. When God sits there and goes, listen, I demanded of you 10%. But that doesn't mean that I don't require it all. Because here's what I become so good at. I become so good at thinking that I'm so much spiritual than other people because I give my 10% to God that I'm allowed to hoard the rest of the 90% and build up Mike's kingdom. And it makes me feel so spiritual. And, and whenever the preacher preaches on giving, I can sit back and know that I'm okay and he's not really talking anything to me because I've already given my 10%. The rest of it is all mine. And what God is ultimately saying is this. I'm not commanding you to give me your 10% and that's it. I'm giving you as an act of faith to be able to give in an act of appreciation and, and thanksgiving for what I've already given you. But man, it's all mine. It's all mine. And so what I want you to understand, and this is not just for the professional minister, the professional Christian, the pastor of Celebration Baptist Church. This is for you. This is for the electrician, for the plumber, for the teacher, for the person that cuts hair, for the beautician, for all these people. Every single one of us, no matter where you go across that dot, no matter what you're doing in your life, you and I have a choice. My kingdom or God's kingdom. And for you and I, To sit back and to think even for a moment and to be upset with a holy God and to think that, you know what, this is really about me. 
is really to demonstrate a dreadful condition that we lack the heart of God because we have a skewed perspective. There's a second thing the word of God says, not only a skewed perspective, but also a misplaced joy. Now notice in verse five, if you will, it says Jonah went out. He says, of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. Okay, so get what's going on. God asks him a question, and he doesn't even answer it. Okay, in my house, that's called disrespect, all right? And you get in trouble for not saying something in the appropriate way if I ask them a question, all right? Okay, this is God. God asks him a question, and what does he do? The same thing he did before when he said, go to Nineveh, he just walks away. He walks away, he goes outside of the city. Now, you're going to love this guy. This is what he does. He goes outside and he sits. And what he wants to do is he builds this little hut, okay, this little booth. And what this is, a little makeshift little shanty that basically is just held together by some poles, by some sticks, uh, by some tree limbs. And then over the top, what they would do is just to get out of the heat of the Mesopotamian sun in in, in that particular uh, area, what they would do, it would get up to 110 degrees during that time. And what they would do is they would just take some limbs and some bushes and some, some leaves and they would just cover the top of that thing. But it would be so hot that, that, that you'd have to constantly replace these things because they would dry up and just fall down and fall down on your head. It was that hot during that time. But this is why he's building himself this nice little shanty. He's building it because he wants to sit. And the Bible says he sat under in the, sh- he sat under in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What is he doing? Have you ever known somebody that is the kind of half, the glass is half empty kind of person? Okay, well, this is Jonah. Jonah's sitting there going, not, hey, I hope I'm going to wait. I'm going to watch to see if even at the last minute before they, uh, you know, if, if God's going to give them life and come to faith in God. Instead, he's sitting there going, man, I hope God changes mind and just wipes them right out. And I want a wonderful seat. I just want to sit back and get some shade off my head and watch and hope and just hope God will do what I want and just kill them all. Do we see the this, this sense here? Of this man. There is no compassion. There is no love for these people whatsoever. He's completely and utterly self-centered. The Bible says in verse 6. He says, now the Lord God appointed a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah. And it, that, that it might be a shade over his head. To save him from his discomfort. Now here's the amazing thing about God. How in the world does God demonstrate such amazing grace. To this huge sinner in this scumbag. How does he keep doing it? He does it the same way that he does to you, scumbag. That's how he does it. You guys do understand this, right? Quit thinking that you're like up in a bleacher somewhere. You're sitting down in that hut. You and I are Jonah. You guys got it, right? I know you feel good when you come to celebration. I know. But it's the same exact thing. So every time he does something horrendous, it's not that God's not a disciplinary God. We know that he had gone, with, he had gone in, that, in that fish. That wasn't fun, but it was still the grace of God. And just as he had appointed a fish, notice the same exact word, English word, and Hebrew word manna, meaning provision of God, is used for him in the plant. He appointed, just like the fish, he also appointed this particular plant to give him shade. Now, how does he respond to this? By the goodness of God, does he turn and go, oh, God, I'm going to be wrong? No, this is how he responds. He says, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was exceedingly glad. It literally means that he was not just happy. He was deliriously happy. He was giddy. You ever been giddy by getting something? Have you ever done that? You have, haven't you? I don't care how old you are. You got that. You got those mud swamper tires. And 
You just could you, I mean, you just loved it. It was just awesome. Look at how cool you think you are. Ladies, the same exact way. Look at my new outfit. You're just giddy, right? Well, he's giddy. He's underneath his son, and he's like, look at my vine. I've got a vine. A vine is over, and I don't have to worry about it drying up because it's an actual vine, and it's got nourishment. And, and check out it. Look at my vine. It's wonderful. And he's just absolutely rejoicing in this vine. Now, here's the amazing thing to me. This is an emotion that we've seen from him that we haven't seen through the entire book. We didn't see this level of joy even when God saved him from drowning. We didn't see this kind of level of joy and this kind of emotion spent when God allowed him to be saved from the belly of that fish. We didn't see this kind of joy, this kind of emotion, this kind of uh, feeling even when 120,000 plus people were delivered from the hand and the wrath of God. But yet, where he reserves his greatest passion and his greatest joy and his greatest exaltation and all of his, his feeling inside of him is over this materialistic thing that provides for him a little temporal cover, uh, comfort. That's where his joy is placed. Now, folks... Again, if you're trying to find yourself in the story, it's Jonah. It's Jonah. Because what the problem is with us is this. is Notice this. We feel greater emotional expectation, anticipation, excitement, and heightened joy over material things that bring us physical and temporal comfort than we do for the advancement of the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to recognize a problem. I'm trying for you and I to really just peel back all this religiosity and really get to the heart of things, to where the rubber meets the road, and understand that there is a dreadful condition that many of us in here, if not all of us, are struggling with. Listen, when I begin to go through this and begin to analyze in my own life, I begin to understand that I feel a greater sense of joy sometimes from a new car smell than I do at the thought of being used of God sometimes to see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. I find more comfort and more excitement and more enthusiasm, do more study in a day and spend more money oftentimes in a day on a new pair of running shoes than I do in a year of really thinking on unreached people groups around the world who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I got to let you know, and I don't mean to be funny with this, but it might be a little bit humorous, I'm not sure, but it's humorous because it's sad, is I find tremendous, tremendous emotional pleasure and joy in eating a cheeseburger. I got to tell you, I love it. My staff will tell you, we'll sit around. It will be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. My, my stomach is growling already at 8.30. I don't know why that is. I just ate breakfast. But I begin to say, what am I going to eat for lunch? And I'll go to the guys sometimes and say, do you have plans for lunch? No, let's do five guys, man. Let's go get that burger. And let me tell you something. For a couple hours, even when I'm studying, I'm thinking, man, a couple hours, and I, I get to go and get that double cheeseburger. 
I'm just so excited about that thing. And I get in there and I smell it and I grab my peanuts on the way and I don't eat the fries because just extra money, but they got free peanuts. Why not eat the peanuts? And I grab the peanuts and I, and I order and I go and I sit down and I have this little method. I get the same thing the same way each time, you know, the, the regular cheeseburger patty just with mayo, man, just every once in a while I get crazy, put a little bacon on there, but I'll just put it. And here's what I do. I sit down. Everybody else just digs in. Adam digs in before he even sits down. He digs in. Just, just kidding. And, uh, and so, so I, I lay mine down, and I just kind of let it sit in the wrapper. Because what's happening, right, it's just cooking just a little bit more. And what it's doing is that, that cheese is beginning to melt into the bread and into that meat, and it's beginning to run down. And I know exactly when just to pop it open. You're too late, it just kind of disappears. But just a time, there's just this nice gooey cheese all on the outside when you just kind of open it up. And so I sit there and I look at it. And, and it's an experience. It's an emotional experience. And I sit and I bite it and I, and I begin to chew it. And, and I look at the other guys and all, all three of us. And they're biggest sinners as I know. And they, they, sit there and they, they sit there and they go, man, this is just so good. I said, it just is good. And, and we nurture it. And then we eat the hamburger all the way around to get to the viney little middle place right there. You know, and then finally you just put it in your mouth and you walk away. And literally our conversation, my conversation, what threw you under the bus is that burger was phenomenal. That was just so tremendously good. And, and I'm embellishing a little. And it is kind of funny until you begin to stop and think that literally I had spent more time thinking on feeling greater affections and deeper joy on a burger than friends, families, neighbors, and the people, the 1.9 billion people across the world that has never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's just something wrong. There's just something wrong there. And I'm not saying that it's not great to be able to have satisfaction in a burger. I think it's a blessing of God. But the fact that I would nurture my vine more than the 120,000 or 1.9 billion people and the thought of being used of God to bring some to faith in Jesus Christ, there's something wrong. And I want to let you know is is that, that fortunately we have an example. Jesus is our example. That is not the heart of God. Who had the heart of God? Jesus Christ, who was the very Son of God. How do we know? Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus stepped out of the glories of heaven to earth. Let me ask you, when, when, when people die and we're sitting here and we're mourning their loss, do you think they're mourning in heaven? Man, I wish I could go back to Yuli. I just wish I could go back. No. They don't want to come back. They're in the glories of heaven. But Jesus was in the reverse. Jesus became man, literally became nothing, he says. Setting aside his glory, not giving it up, but setting aside his glory to come here to earth. Why? Because of the vines? Because he has a vine that he loves? That he finds great joy in the vine? Apparently not. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If he was all about vines, he did a really poor job of it because he didn't seem to accumulate any. 
And the Bible says, why? Why wasn't, why didn't he accumulate all this stuff? Luke chapter 15 tells us why. Because we see his greatest joy. There was no greater joy than to find the lost coin, the lost sheep, and to find the lost son. What does that mean? Jesus Christ had no greater joy than to redeem lost men and women. No greater joy. And that was the heart of the Father that we see right here was the heart of the Father. It's what did it for Him. But you and I, we as Celebration Baptist Church as a corporate body of believers, those who have truly been redeemed, we have a dreadful condition. We're lacking the heart of God because we have a skewed perspective. We're lacking the heart of God because we have a misplaced joy. And finally... We're lacking the heart of God because we have a, wor- a warped compassion. Now look at verse 7, if you will. It says, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. It says, So when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint, so that he was faint. And he asked, he asked that he might die. And he said, for it it is better for me to die than to live. So understand what God's doing. He gives him this particular vine to teach him an ultimate lesson. God's going to give and he's going to take away, isn't he? He creates a worm. Here he is forming this worm. The worm comes. The worm, as we know in that particular area, could just chew on the root of that, of that plant. And literally within a half hour to an hour, it could begin because of the heat of the sun begin to wither away. So this happens almost instantaneously. By the time the sun is up, guess what? That thing is, is just in frazzles. It's just completely frazzled, completely dried out. It's not doing him any good. And then on top of that, God says, just to teach you another lesson, I'm going to send you a Scirocco. No, not a VW. Uh, but, but, but what it is, is this a Scirocco is this desert eastern Mesopotamian wind that would come. Usually you think a wind of cooling things down. This particular wind was so compact with positive ions that what would happen is it would just dry everything out that it would touch. The temperature would soar even higher when this breeze would come. So here he is miserable, and God brings even greater to his, even more misery to him. And then the word of God tells us this. It says, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Why? Because he hasn't gotten his way. His vine's been taken away. He's uncomfortable. He doesn't feel good at this moment. And then what he says, he says, and the Lord said, you pity... The plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in in the night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? What he's saying about the cattle is simply this. He's saying, he's bringing up the cattle because he says, you are treasuring something and you feel more pity, which literally means compassion. He says, you feel more pity on this inanimate object, this plant that feels nothing than you even do the animals. Even the animals are greater than that plant and you care nothing for them. He says, what's wrong with you? He says, listen, you had no, you had no part in creating that vine. I gave you that vine, which is a great reminder for us, folks, is that all of it is God's anyway. And so you sit here and we, we take pride. Well, I worked for this. I worked for this truck. I worked for this boat. I worked for this house. I worked for the vacation. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And the whole time you're cursing God. Because the truth of the matter is, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Every gift comes from God. 
If you had the ability to be able to earn a good wage, it was because God gave you that ability, he gave you that job, and he gave you that, that earning. He gave it to all of us. He says, so here you did nothing for this plant. You didn't plant it. You didn't tend it. And it came up in one night and faded away. And yet you're broken over it. You're completely broken over it. You can't even see straight. Here, and, then, and then he sits and he turns around and ultimately says, he says, if you have pity on that, which you did not grow, which you had no part in doing, then I, the God who is the creator of all of the Ninevites, should I not then have compassion for them? And then he says, for those that do not know the difference between their right and their left, you know what that means? The ones that are truly guilty, but they just don't know any better. They don't know any better. Why? Because they've never been told. It's like the 1.9 billion people across the world that have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, yet you feel more pity on the plant because of your discomfort. Because of a little discomfort. Than you do for this 120 plus people dying. Are you guys, you guys get where this is going, right? So what is the problem? We feel more compassion for inanimate objects that are here today and gone tomorrow than we do for the eternal souls of men and women around the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us have spent more time, truthfully, mourning and feeling deeper and feeling greater sense of sadness for a broken television set for a lost piece of jewelry, for a canceled vacation, and for a dinged van than we do for our neighbors, families, friends, and billions of people around the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And see, what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to manipulate you in any way, shape, or form. What I'm saying is the van thing that we've talked about, remember in the marriage series, the van with the dings and the, all that other kind of stuff, what I'm trying to get to you is, that's my vine. That I would spend more time concerned over a ding than really being an emotionally feeling gripped and saddened and downtrodden and feel compassion for my poor van that in a couple of years is going to fall apart and fade away. And, and you may sit there and go, that's so pathetic. Will you join me? That we could have that kind of compassion for things that are just inanimate objects. But the souls that live forever of men and women and children, nothing. Nothing. There's something seriously wrong with this. And, and you say, why are you starting here? I'm starting here because I want to show you the need. I want to show you why we have a need to simply live this month. So that we can put things back in another perspective to realize, listen, it's not about my wants and it's not about my plans. It's not about my will. It's about God's most glorious will to see men, children, women from every tribe, tongue, and nation to come to faith in Jesus Christ, to place everything on the line for God and to remind myself it's not about me, it's about him. And for me to check my heart, my hardened heart, my heart that is so upside down that, I, that I, my greatest joys are for temporal things of this earth and I feel so little for the lost, but at the same time, my greatest remorse and my greatest uh, compassion is set to things that I've loved and stored up for myself, but yet for the lost, I feel such very little compassion. Something's wrong. Lack of the heart of God. But see, there's hope. 
We, as Celebration Baptist Church, need desperately the heart of God, and God can give it to us. What you've got to understand, don't put the next part up, hold on. What we need to understand is this, is when God came and died, when Jesus Christ came and died, and don't you see the picture of Jesus all the way through this? Jesus even refers to Jonah. He says that even as the son, even as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the son of man will what? He's going to be in the grave for three days. But he's going to rise again. It was a picture of what was to come, the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ, who was to come. And why did he come, church? To give you and I what we do not deserve. It's, a, it's plaster, grace is plaster all over this book of John. To give you and I what we do not deserve, that is the repentance and right standing with God and Him to, 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 to turn away from His righteous and good wrath towards us. And it was all done through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what we fail to understand. He came not only to save us from hell, but He also came to break the bonds of sin and selfishness. Sin and selfishness, to break that. Can I tell you that there are things in my life that I have to purposely not get, even if I have the money? I have to purposely give it up just to keep myself in check and understand that it's not about stuff, that it's about God. I'm not trying to give you some legalistic pattern. You, you work this out. You've got to work this out for yourself. But there are literally some times I know if I go and get something, that it's going to be at my spiritual expense with my relationship with God. And so what happens is this, is he not only came to save us from hell, but he came to break this. And the evidence of this is in Paul. Listen to what Paul says. Listen, think, does Paul have, ask yourself this question, does Paul have the compassionate heart of God, or is he lacking it when he says this? In Romans chapter 9, verse 1 and 3, when he's speaking of the Jewish people, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. He's making a pledge. He's swearing here. He says, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Did you hear what he said? He was, I am in utter anguish for my lost brother, Jewish brothers that do not know Christ. And I would literally allow myself to spend eternity in hell if they would just come to faith in God. I think he's got it. And so what I do is I sit there and say, God, I know it's possible. I know through your son I can have it. Will you give it to me? God, will you give it to me? God, will you give me your heart? God, will you stir in me the right perspective? Will you stir in us this month that we begin to understand that it's not about me, it's about God, it's not about my kingdom, it's about propagating His gospel, His kingdom, His glory? God, would you put inside of my heart and would you help me to understand and come to the realization fully and completely not to have a misplaced joy in stuff, but rather in the person of God and the plans of God and the will of God? And God, would you, uh, above all else, God, would you help me with this warped compassion? God, I am so utterly ashamed that I would feel worse about a vine than people perishing to go to hell. God, would you and you alone change my heart? That's our prayer this morning. Will it be your prayer this morning? I'm going to ask everybody to stand if they would at this time. Our instrumentals are coming. I'm going to pray. Will you respond? This is what I'm going to ask. I'm going to be down here. 
If there is anybody who do not, does not know Christ, you, need, you sit there and say, you're talking a lot about Christ. I need to know about it. I need to be saved. I'm going to be down here. Would you come and talk? I'll begin to walk you through that. But there are some of us, those who have, some who have been redeemed, you have a right relationship with Christ. Now's the time to do business. Amen? Now's the time to do business. Already in the beginning of this month, so that God will begin to teach us all that we need. Will you, look at, look at me, church, just very quickly. Concentrate. Concentrate. Stop and think to yourself, God, do I have your heart? And if you do not, will you pray for it? Will you pray that God will give it to you? Jesus, we pray right now. God, we love you. We thank you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will move. God, help us to respond to the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.